welcome to House Common Blood, where strangers are family. Every episode may contain graphic content, such as copious amounts of blood, unnecessary cursing, death of all ages, infantile to immortal, fantasy drug use, nudity, and perhaps mentions of sex and sound effects of various qualities. We cannot stress enough that this is mature content with adult themes. You have been warned! Master, this all sounds really scary! So it started off with Cobalt and Asmodai and the Jade Hills talking to the Magical Inquisition dirty dude, getting some information and finding a trap house. In the trap house, they believed perhaps Fallon Man, the fake one, could perhaps be in this trap house. They stealthily sneak in and decide stealth is no longer an option and set it ablaze. The fire starts spreading, starting to go towards the other mansions. And as they realize they should probably put this out, something popping in and out of the unseen public starts spreading fire more and more. The house burns down, they talk to the guards, and everything's honky-dory. Fast forward a little bit, um, Dust and Leo are off doing their own thing. Um, gonna be heading towards trying to find Nickel and the Jade Hills. After that, um, very minute stuff happens along. Uh, Asmodai and Cobalt are still doing um, some reconnaissance missions. Uh, time passes and they finally meet up. Cobalt sees Dust. Dust does not want to talk to him, so he just dips out into the unseen public. Leo is talking to Asmodai as Cobalt goes into the unseen public to meet up with Dust. Uh, Leo and Asmodai realize this, and Leo is done talking to Asmodai, so it pops his numb tongue. Asmodai, being the great hearted person you is doesn't want to take drugs but doesn't want to be alone so Cobalt conveniently left him some drugs to take to join the party a big giant snake that sprouted from a rabbit who was doing operations on different people one including a crimson hand is finally slain nickel is then brought back to the orphanage where dust begins to hang him and after that is done, Dust carves his name inside of Nickel's chest. Asmodai cuts off his hand and basically tries to take credit for Dust's kill. And Cobalt and Dust have a little heart-to-heart -heart with some mean things said to Cobalt. Cobalt's left crying. Uh, Dust attempts to lockpick a what believes is a magical door with inside the orphanage that's only seen in the unseen public and it ends with Dust and Cobalt inside the unseen public and Leo and Asmodai going to talk to the magical Inquisition dirty dude and they meet up with their old friend the Inquisitor. 10 uh, uh, temporary hit points Dust. Probably the best thing I could roll. Mm -hmm. God knows. We'll find out later that this ten, these ten temporary hit points saved his life. Yeah, <laughs> typically do. You know, there's a lot of stuff that he left out about uh, you dying, you wanting to kill somebody, but it's fine. That's very specific, but I like it vague. 
let's uh, paint the scene a bit. In the cerulean skies, as they begin to die, you can see grayish-blue clouds that hide a tentacled sun. The sinking sun burns a hot pink through the heavy clouds, and golden light ribbons around the edges of the clouds in its likeness. It's quite beautiful. We, If we look closer at the sky itself, you see a migration. Now in our reality, you know, you might see birds migrating from the north to the south. What we see in the sky is whales and fish in its likeness swimming in the sky. And we can hear the lone moans of whales go throughout the air. It seems like they're running away from something as they go towards the ocean. Now if you had a keen eye, you would notice that one or two fish would just suddenly disappear from the sky and go right to the sea below. Now, let's zoom in a bit. There is a lot of nobles coming into town today. We see carriages, and in one carriage specifically, we see a couple representatives of uh, the Magical Inquisition ricketing around, and we see a large person, maybe? Cloaked in white, with uh, antlers peeking through the cloak, and a couple uh, looking lazily. And as one, like, puts his chin and rests it on his hand, he notices something. We see the tree with the swinging corpse, as a now crowd has formed around it. And he mutters softly as he reads what's on the body. Dust? Now, if we look closely at the scene itself with the tree, we can see guards trying to cut through the rope, but to no avail. No dagger, no sword, no magic seems to cut through this rope. We see mages try and fail, we see guards try and fail, and nothing seems to cut it. It seems like they're at a loss. And if you were to listen closely, you could hear the crowd muttering, Crimson Fist. Crimson Fist. As we see the hand nailed to the tree, covered in blood, it is the mark of the Crimson Fist. Now, from this alone, it's created a, a, a bit of unease towards the oncoming evening. We, we see that none of the nobles are deterred as they all make their way to, their, uh, to the estate. We see... Again, no shit. We see a boat flying through the air with metallic wings made from an ore that seems to fight gravity as it retracts inward to the hull, then outward to the hull to determine whether it goes low or goes high. It does not flap. It simply goes in and out. As it begins to retract into the hull, it goes to the docks and parks like a regular boat next to uh, the docks in the Jade Hills. Next, we see that uh, giant shell floats towards the harbor with a throne on top of it. Now, if you were to have a good look at it, you would see that there is shark people, maybe? Yeah, shark people guarding a pale sea elf as he makes his way through the black waters. He makes himself to the land, 
dusts himself off with his regal clothing and walks out. Next, we see a familiar sight, if Leo were here. You'd see uh, one of the contacts that he made friends with from the Delius dynasty, a snake person with a cobra-like features but human uh, face. He wears a, uh, a headdress, basically, of uh, a silk headdress, there we go, made from a crimson cloth and uh, robes of a similar color with uh, uh, designs of uh, snakes and their scales all over the uh, cloak itself. After that, we have the Goliath that Leo also made friends with, walking up silently to the Magical Inquisition. Now, as we uh, stare at all these nobles going into uh, the state itself, we see the Magical Inquisition outpost, where David, the accountant, or the pencil pusher, is talking with uh, two boys. As we uh, zoom in, we see that uh, David is shaking his bottle, looking at you guys desperately, and he just says to you simply, uh, A thousand gold! I'll pay you a thousand gold! Anything! Each, I'm assuming. Each! I'll pay you a thousand gold each! Please, kill the Jade Hand! I look to Asmodite. Eh, it's a lot of trouble for only a thousand gold. I can't even buy a good set of plate armor for that much. Agreed. Two thousand gold! I'll give you two thousand gold! And? Uh, horses, carriages, artifacts! Can you be more specific on that last one? And he, uh, he sweats a bit and he says, There is uh, one artifact that the Magical Inquisition holds a priority of uh, protecting more than the others. I will give you that. Can you tell us what this object item is, if it's even worth our time? For all I know, you could be guarding a very valuable rock. He looks around, seemingly afraid to make sure no one will hear him, and he goes, We, uh, claimed... A magical artifact from uh, ruins. And uh, he begins to shake a bit. The archaeologists say that. Uh, uh, and he, again, makes sure that no one is around, closes the door, in fact. He goes past you guys, like uh, hobbling in front, then behind, closes door, locks it really quick. And he says, The ruins were ruined to be Gushayan. But you know how those fairy tales are. And he stumbles back to his desk and says, But what we did find was a lance. A very powerful lance. The boys from the Inquisition say that it was a dragon tamer lance. This lance could change its damage. I've seen wild things. You'd be hit by the damnable thing. And it would go from fire to acid and melt your skin. Then it could freeze it. Then, then lightning, as if it were to appear from a storm, would strike. It's a very powerful artifact, and I'll give it to you. But if I were to give you this artifact, I must know 
that not only is a... And he tries to, like, lower his voice a bit. The Jade Hand is defeated and dead. But also, you must secure my safety. You must get me out of here. Because if a moss ever finds out, I even talk about this, or possibly gave it away, he gulps. There's still better chances than messing with the Jade Hand, but... I still don't like to play around with luck. I need to leave the port, if that's the case. That seems, actually, if a moss would be so concerned, that actually sounds like more of a reason we should let, at least for me, leave it where it lies, because I don't want him coming after me. It is a legendary artifact. I can understand if you're hesitant to have it. But understand, if you could properly attune to this, you could possibly outmatch a moss himself. But that is if you take the time to learn. Uh, I don't prefer to use lenses anyway. It seems like it is more hassle than it is worth. Oh wait, it's one-handed. Eh, maybe I would. We're still discovering uh, things with the lance. The, the damage is the most fascinating to us, but... We also found that uh, you cohere dragonkind with this uh, lance. You can, and again, he's lowering his voice as much as he can so it doesn't leave the room. You could summon a steed, and not just any steed, a damnable worm. You can summon a wormling. I mean,. Again, that's all well and good. I don't really care about the item, but the amount of attention it would grab once Inquisitor Moss knows that it is gone. That... that is... You have to understand, it doesn't really matter whether one of us uses the item or not. It's the fact that we now have a giant target painted on our back, and I don't like being that exposed. And he uh, nods along. And he goes, well, if that's the case, I don't have much to offer you besides what's at the auction. I'll look at Leo and go, eh, 2,000 gold is somewhat reasonable, but that is, that is a big undertaking. And that magic item is worth more hassle than it would actually be worth. Agreed. If only there's something to sweeten the pot a little bit more. What do you have in mind? I believe Asmodide could use some um, proper relationships in this city for his organization that could benefit from having support by the Inquisition. Uh, please entail. I work with an organization that has certain interests within the city, especially what the Inquisition might want to be able to take advantage of, which is uh, we discreetly move specifically weapons from one city to the next. Mm -hmm. And he uh, nods along. So interesting. Sounds like exactly what I want. So um, I think if we make the proper business arrangements, we can make this deal work. And he says, just if you save me, you, I'll be forever in your debt. Done. Done. Whatever it needs. Relations with the Magical Inquisition. Done. 
If you want your organization to be recognized by the damnable government, done! Yeah. As I kind of shakes his head a little bit, like, eh, I guess it's worth it. Uh, kind of like, eh, alright. But I do want to let you know, there is no guarantee that J-10 is quite... We've been after him for a while. He's quite well insulated. So, I can do my best, but don't expect a 100% guarantee of success. We might need some of um, <clears throat> the expenses covered above in, in, in front so we can be sure we can accomplish his mission. He slams down a thousand gold right in front of you. Yoink. <laughs> yep. He just goes, thousand now, a thousand later. Anything is better than nothing. Pretty sure that wasn't it two thousand each? Yeah, that's kind of the deal. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, let me rephrase. Uh, One thousand now, four thousand later. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So you guys can split it however the fuck you want. I don't care. <laughs> no, no. He said what he said, Dust. Quiet. <laughs> oh, son of a bitch, you motherfucker. <laughs> yep, hands off the chest piece. God damn uh, yeah, it! I I heard exactly what he said. Hands off the chest piece. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. So he, he's flustered. So uh, your guys's total went to five thousand instead of four thousand total. So he's gonna give you thousand now and four thousand later. Apparently. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's just he's just sweating profusely. Yeah. I, I imagine just like you know. You know, like when you're dehydrated, you don't think straight, you don't speak straight. Math is yeah. hard. It is. It's super hard for this man, especially being an accountant and all. Um, alright, uh, is there anything else you guys want to do at this moment? It just gold enough for you guys? Uh, I mean, I would talk to him later about what specific items that we're grabbing and... It, now would be a good time. Okay. Like, yeah, now would be a good time. Well, I wasn't sure if you wanted to roleplay that or just say we went over it. Well, the way that I want this to uh, basically run down is that he is doing the paperwork beforehand to basically take items and uh, secure them before they have a chance to go uh, to someone else. Right. By the way, since you've already signed the paperwork... Uh, what items shall I have the guards make sure that they're in a secure location, being already sold and such? Alright, um, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm actually gonna have you guys uh, roll a couple times for uh, some mag uh, random magic items. I'm gonna have each person roll once. So roll 1d100, uh, Leo, and tell me what you get. 91. One of the profitable items that you guys are gonna be snaking is called Companions Band. All right. Next on the list, uh, Asmodai. Roll a 1d100. Uh, 39. 39. 39 is a Kindle Egg Sugar Bomb. Next on the list, uh, Cobalt. Roll 1d100. Yeah, 50. Blizzard Sphere. Dust, roll 1d100. 100. It's called a Snuggle Beast. And uh, help me <laughs> pronounce it. Yeah, I know. Snuggle Beast Tarask. That's why I had to double check it really quick. Now explain why that's important later. I thought these were. When he tells us that, I'm going to cut in and be like, I thought we were. These are items, not an actual creature. 
You see David look up at you and go, uh, It's a snuggle beast. Aren't you familiar with that magical item? Am I familiar with that magical item? No. No, I'm not. It's... It's one of the stranger things that uh, magic has. Basically, when you cuddle it, when you uh, short rest or, or long rest, you get more of these so-called uh, hit dice, depending on what creature it's based on. With that one, it is the best snuggle beast we ever found. Basically, like, uh, if, uh, how, how it's worded is, when a creature regains hit points at the end of a short rest by spending one or more of its uh, hit dice, the creature can regain extra hit points if it spends that short rest snuggling with one of these enchanted toys. And it basically lists off, okay, common, uncommon, so on and so forth. Dust rolled a rare, so that's 4d6. Once this uh, property of the Snuggle Beast has been used by a creature, that creature cannot benefit from the same Snuggle Beast again until a long rest. It's a strange item. But by the way I'm reading it, uh, yeah, like basically it just adds to your uh, uh, hit point pool when you're uh, resting. Pretty interesting. I have never really heard of an item that does something like that. Alright, John. 1d100. I got 91 again. <laughs> 91 a, a set of secret scribe candles now uh next is uh asmodai roll 1d100 50 you got uh blood pack pendants next on the list uh cobalt 1d100 yeah 25 25 all right toadstone and finally dust 21 basilisk dagger god all right and that will end it Basically, I wanted to give you guys a pool of items to choose from, like, once this heist is done. Now, that's not all of the magical items. That is just the ones that pop out to you. We're going to save the rest for, you know, clarity's sake is for, you know, Solman's bot, or not Solman, for Asmodai's boss to sell. We're going to say that it's just on the side. That's how they're making money. These are the ones that pop out. And with the deal that Asmodai has with his boss, he can take one item. You can read negotiate to possibly get more or even steal one of those items but again it goes through asmodai so uh if you guys again there's gonna be a lot of items going through this auction those aren't even the ones that are set up for like uh the big honchos uh, auction but these are the items that you're gonna be snaking so make sure to keep all the items written down to remind me if you guys go through it try to steal it whatever yeah Mm. There are a lot of good ones in there. A lot of goodies. Um, okay. Uh, you guys satisfied with uh, hammering out the details? There's not any specific items that you guys want from uh, the auction? I mean, I don't know what any of these items are out of character. and In character, I certainly wouldn't, so... Yeah. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> if that's it, we can move on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm, I'm going to say that we have a montage of uh, of Asmodai uh, talking to uh, people with red fists about uh, what's going to be happening tonight. Basically, uh, getting them appropriate armor, uh, looking the part, and making sure to tell everyone to cover their hands. Um, specifically, Asmodai, how do you look for this ball? Uh, I will be wearing... Uh... I will be polishing up my armor, have it gleaming, um, have my shield, but uh, I will take my hair and I'll uh, 
have it slicked back, have it very nicely styled, uh, make sure that my beard is neatly trimmed, even take a bath, uh, and, uh, look extremely presentable. Yeah. That, yeah, that looks good. Um, let's see, what, what else was I going to say? Um, as you're, uh, doing your, uh, uh thing, Asmodai, uh, while you were, uh, walking the streets, you do see, uh, Fallon just yelling at one of the soldiers in from the corpse tree. I mean, is this Fallon as in the one I recognize, or is this yes. odd? Okay. Real Fallon. Real Fallon. He is livid. And I'm just gonna keep on walking. <laughs> and, unless he unless he has something to say to me. <laughs> no. that I, was, I, I only brought that up to see if you intervened or talked to him. Basically, he is focused on getting rid of this corpse that's near the main road. I'm going to talk to him later once, you know, obviously I have to iron out details with him too, where we're going to put the items, where my men are basically going to stash them for, because they are sold and mm. then actual legitimate details for security and all that good stuff. Yep. And just to set, like, uh, set up the picture, we see, uh, Fallon yelling at a armored soldier we see the swinging of the corpse a white tree and the broken like ruins of the orphanage then camera zooms back and is temporarily like blacked out then you know uh, basically there's clipping moments of black as people pass through then we see a clear asmodai walking from the right frame to the left frame then we zoom even like back further than that and we see a silk glove as a fist tightens and clenches, we see his purple suit, his fucked up legs. And then we see the, the entire scene reflect off of spectacles. And we see Roy, furious, with this slick back purple hair. And he watches you walk away, Asmodai. Now, to move on from that, uh, Leo... We also have a uh, montage for you. We see uh, Yvette uh, sneaking about, making sure not to, you know, be seen in the general public. And um, she brings off the rough sketch of the map. And if we were to look at it from this uh, silent conversation that they're having with Gus in the room, we see that there's X's all over the map. We see Leo, like, uh, you know, moving X once in a while to somewhere else and Yvette like screaming at him and after a while they seem to agree on something then she points on a map to a specific location taps it a couple times and Leo seems to understand with a single nod moving on from that uh we go to dust and cobalt in the unseen public what are you guys doing well Dust was waiting for the drugs to wear off, ignoring Cobalt, and essentially um, wrestling. Okay, and that's it? That's it for Dust, unless Cobalt was trying to do something to Dust. So, I guess as just a Cobalt, like, eventually, essentially just, like, uh, runs out of tears, I guess. Like, just, uh, just starts, you know, like, gets up from his position a bit, looking about the area. This is really one of the few times he's been in the unseen public. Your eyes keep getting blinded by the golden light of the black obelisk where the lighthouse used to be. The sigils glowing 
like uh, well, what a lighthouse does, the light that comes out of it. And if you were to look left from that, you would see, instead of an estate that you went to, you see a palace. And it's kind of, it's really cool. Just imagine like a Victorian palace, but with uh, clockwork gears here and there to make it function and do autonomous things. Other than that, you see a black egg that's ever growing. Is there anything Cobalt does during this time, or is he just observing the landscape? Uh, you know, it's like a, you, you know, he might walk over to that egg and poke it. As you're uh, going to the egg, like uh, you know, you're hobbling about. Uh, Jack stands up and goes, "Cobalt is dangerous. Let me, let me accompany you." And he just follows you as you're going about. Both of you guys go through uh, your rat, rat head itself. You know, oh, that's another thing, before I even begin. Oh, just to be clear, it's not a rat, it's a mouse head. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I just wanted to say, like, that entire, like, uh, confrontation you guys had, like, Dust had a snake head and you had a mouse head. And when he, like, got close and looked you in the eyes, I just want to say that was cool imagery for me, but we forgot to, like, really emphasize that. Um, so, like I was saying, uh, Jacked gets up, says, uh, Cobalt. Uh, let me accompany you. It's dangerous around these parts. And you guys go towards the black egg. And as you guys go through the animal-faced crowd, you eventually reach the black egg where you see a man with a wheelbarrow throwing random corpses into the egg, his mouth stitched. And he just gives you a look as you come to the black egg. Now, for perspective size, uh, you guys know how long a typical telephone pole is, right? 30 feet, that's a good gauge. This looks like it's about three telephone poles high, so 90 feet up. Now, for how wide it is, imagine uh, about two football fields uh, put together, like a side-by-side. That is the width. This thing is humongous. Yeah, Cobalt with his little body just staring up at this large egg. Mm-hmm. And you start to get weird vibes from it, Cobalt. Like, uh, it's familiar. Uh, do me a history check. Only eight. You look Cobalt at roll it. really badly. Yeah, you, you look at it and you're scratching your chin and Jack goes, what are you thinking about, Cobalt? And the more you think about it, you know you should know this. You really should. It was something super important and it's on the tip of your tongue, but it's just not coming to you. And you look at it and you see, again, like a pink, basically a pink wormling, a dragon, scaleless, in a, a fetus kind of position, you know what I mean? So like hands, like in crotch, legs towards chin, and head like curled up. And you see like the wings uh, span, like a cover its body to protect it. Feel both see something like this before. And he goes, you've seen something like this before. Can you make me a perception check, Mega? Yeah. Seven. I, god damn it. So you look into the egg. And I say, all that, all that you notice is you see this dragon and it's scary. And you just see a blue glint inside of it. But you, it might have been like a trick on the eyes. The best time Cobalt see... See egg in city, very scary time. But mm. that egg much smaller. And 
as you say much smaller, you see that one of its eyes flicker open halfway and it split golden iris just stares at you. Oh, here, Kobo? And it just keeps staring. Do you say anything in Draconic or is it all in common? Uh, no, I was about I was about to say like, maybe, maybe understand Kobo. And he will switch to Draconic. Hey, little one, or big one. It looks at you. And again, just like a whale's moan, that's what it sounds like through the egg. And it says to you, Little one, come closer. Thinks on it for a moment, but and it's like, oh, come on, it's a wormling. What could happen? As he just like uh, starts walking closer to the egg. <laughs> you do, and again, I, I think I might have misspoke. It's it. I want to call it a wormling for the fact that it looks like a fetus in a sense, but it is damn like half the size of a dragon at this point. Like, if we were to, like, compare the size of the egg, it takes, like, a half the size of it. Oh, no, I get that. He, he was just mostly going off, uh, more off of physiology and not the actual size. <laughs> it, you come closer and it moves its hand and its elongated finger pierces past the egg. And you see its talon, as it says. Please, young one, hold on to me. Trying to hatch and need help? I mean, Cobalt has had zero bad experiences with other Draconic likes, so mm-hmm. it's like, okay. <laughs> As he grabs onto onto the talent hand, and I guess, like, however he's reading the situation, like, tries to pull it out. <laughs> yeah, and he smiles. And you see an energy overcome you, but it's it doesn't hurt you. It doesn't drain you. It, best way to put it, imagine, like, a golden flame. And it quickly wreaths past your body. And if you're to look at the flame, it sparks and goes straight up into the sky. Then if we're to fall that flame, it comes out of the sky itself and towards the north of Droke Port. And incredibly fast, it keeps following north. And it goes at impossible speeds until we see like a island in the middle of a blue ocean in an island of blue cobalts and it goes into the tunnel and we go past a treasure trove of random items and artifacts and we see cobalt's master resting the silhouette of it and the gold flame glows up the dark cave and we see only partial of its face its great and mighty giant face flicker open its eyes as the flame goes straight for your master's hand and basically rips apart its scales. Your master slashes at the uh, fire. Then we cut back to you and its hand grows blue in front of you and he goes, Thank you, little one. You've always helped me. And it reminds you of master. Come on, try help. And it smiles at you. Yes, you always did help me, Cobalt. And it gives you Toothy Grin the best that it can. I've been in prison for many years till you came along. And it it calls you by your name, too. It says, Cobalt, do you know who I am? I guess Cobalt tries squinting his eyes a bit harder. Mm -hmm. Cobalt, not 
and it smiles at you, and it says, I am Grimmer. And you don't recognize the name. Hmm. Cobalt no no of Grimmer. Does Grimmer know Cobalt? And he nods his head. Yes, Cobalt, I know you. Thanks to you, I've been growing, and soon I'll be able to leave. And he, again, it kind of like Pokemon Mewtwo, this thing like moves around in its little, like, uh, a cage in a sense, or, you know, its tube. And it gets out of the fetal position, and it starts floating, or like floating around. It turns itself upside down where, you know, his snout and eyes is matching your, like, <laughs> your tiny frame as the rest of his body arcs upwards. He looks at you, and you see Jacked just, like, minding his business in the background, watching this unfold. Cobalt, can you do me an, hmm, do me a perception check, please? So, well, let's see how that works out, because judging by my first two rolls today. <laughs> Five. You see nothing. He says to you, Cobalt, who is your master? Easy, Cobalt Master, Master Bitondas! And he gives you, honestly, a scary smile. And he says, Vitondas, that is great to hear. Once I hatch, could you introduce me to your master? Oh, Cobalt, more than happy to. And he gives you a smile and says, Thank you. And you see his hand swipe in the air into the egg. And he says, Are you familiar with a promise? You see, like, its huge, taloned hand come out. And if we were to compare the size between Cobalt and his hand, it's like 30 Cobalts, head to toe, going from, like, <laughs> it, the base of its wrist all the way up to its uh, finger. So it's about 30 feet long. And he basically gives you a closed fist and opens it up. And what you see is a blue collar. If you promise to let me see your master, I shall give you a gift. Wait, hold on one moment. As he opens up his little bag, starts digging through it, and he pulls out one of his torches. Mm-hmm. And he smiles and says, it will actually puts out two little talons, uh, like his uh, thumb and his uh, finger on his other hand to uh, grab it. Yeah, just walks up, uh, puts it in his hand like, this cobalt promise stick! Mm hmm Yeah. And grabs the promise stick and takes it back into the egg where it floats like it's not affected by gravity. And he gives you this collar. And you look at it. And you squint at it. You have a eureka moment as you have now found your collar. My cobalt just looks at it staring widely. <gasps> It nods its head, and it says, It is what gave me life. From the moment you touched my prison, from the moment we came to this port, it has given me a body. It has helped me manifest. I owe it all to you, Cobalt. 
I owe everything to you. And it looks at you with a kind smile. Yeah, Cobalt right now is just crying. Just like, Cobalt's so happy in my collar! No master not be mad at Cobalt! <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I love that. <sighs> As he just starts hastily like reattaching the collar to his neck. And you notice that it's... When you had it before, before you came here, if you were to look at your collar, uh, you'd see, like, the misty head of your master. Basically, like, uh, every feature from uh, where the horns are to, like, uh, what what your uh, master looks like. Just it's... You see, like, a chest-up, like, misty form of your master Vitandis inside of your... Uh, your collar, the gem in your collar. And it's best to say if, like, smoke, uh, like, uh, formed, like, the outline of uh, your uh, master was detailed, that is what it looks like in the deep blue. So light blue version of your master with a dark blue exterior. It now holds no image of your master. It is just dull, but you know for a fact that this is your collar. As Cobalt was, like, looking into it. It looked different from how Cobalt remember. And Grimmer frowns and says, I apologize. To give me life, the gem is drained for uh, for now. Please, just give it time and it will come back greater than it was before. Good. And it both, like, the hands, like, retract back into the egg. It curls back up into, like, a... uh, fetal position and it's half open eye the amber eye just stares at you with a smile as it says I thank you cobalt by grow tired please go back we will see each other again and I will thank you cobalt nods okay grimmer friend you sleep and when feeling much better cobalt introduce you to master and he smiles thank you cobalt friend I can't wait for that day. And it sleeps. Yeah, just a, just like that, just that emotional whiplash of like, uh, of like, uh, you know, existential social dread from probably not even an hour ago. <laughs> just like the, you know, the sudden, just, uh, you know, like burst of a happiness and relief. Cobalt just turns around and starts skipping back over to Jacked and proudly displaying his, uh, his collar before him. Look, Jack Fred! Cobalt fine collar! Um, I want you to do me an insight check for me. Because I've had such great rolls today. And they continue with a three. He is generally excited that you got your collar back. And he goes, Cobalt, I'm very happy for you. And he pats you on the head and looks at the collar. What was uh, this thing again? And he just looks at it. Oh, yeah, isn't that the thing that you lost when you came here? (laughs) Very important to Cobalt. And he pats you on the shoulder, and he tells you, I'm so proud of you that you made friends with your own kind as well. You know, that dragon, what was his name? Grimmer? Mm Mm-hmm, my friend. He's he's a good dragon. He, He does a lot of good things, and he looks up, and says, I'm I'm sure that when your master and his meets, that a lot of good things will happen. And he nods his head at you. 
You keep your promises, don't you? Mm-hmm. We'll always keep promises. <laughs> and he just looks down at you, and at, uh, he just leads you off and says, Well, you've always been a good dog, and he just laughs a little bit, just thinking about, like, uh, the first gag that you guys did at the blood barrel, or the bleeding barrel. Memory serves me, right? And you guys walk. Um, is there anything else Cobalt does in the Unseen Public? The... Uh... I guess Cobalt would originally, would originally, you know, want to go and uh, find Dust, but then remembers that Dust doesn't want to really talk to Cobalt right now, so he kind of just then, uh, yeah, keeps wandering. Th for yeah, then I guess, uh, like, Jack will just basically be talking with you, just doing general bullshit. And he looks at you, and I assume occasionally, like, you're downcast and upset with what Dust has done. I would assume so, right? can't quite yeah. get the image of a... Can't get quite get the image of the uh, of you know nickel hanging from a noose on a tree. <laughs> it's like that that image doesn't quite leave your head quickly. <laughs> and T just looks at you and go, uh, Cobalt. It looks like you're uh, you're a little foggy. And he looks down at you. I mean, uh, your head is unclear. Remembering who he's talking to. Cobalt, keep thinking of man in tree. And he nods his head, and he uh, says to you, He was a bad man, Cobalt. He needed to be taken care of. And animals like that, they need to get punished. Cobalt, understand, but also, but also scare Cobalt. What, what scares you about it? Cobalt, maybe a mistake, but Cobalt look in eyes and Cobalt feel... And searches for the word... Dread. He nods like, his head at you. Like eyes look in Cobalt's soul. <laughs> he uh, thinks about it for a moment, uh, cupping his chin, then scratching his cheek a bit. Then he says, well, that's the thing. When you uh, follow ball, you tend to uh, have more eccentric personality traits as your quest for revenge goes on and on. I'm sorry to say, Cobalt, but once he reaches the end, you won't be able to recognize dust. Kitty in danger? And he shakes his head. He is only danger to himself. This cobalt looks even sadder now. <laughs> and he looks at you, gets down on one knee, and just goes, You know, cobalt, whenever I'm upset, you know what helps me clear my mind? When I was a kid. What did do? When I was a kid, what always cleared my mind was going to the lighthouse. Would you like to come to the lighthouse with me? Cobalt think Cobalt still have time? Also, Cobalt no know how to leave here. He just gives you a smile and puts out his hand for you to hold. Yeah, grabs his hand and lets him lead the way. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you guys eventually reach where the lighthouse should be in the Jade Hills, but instead you see, like, a black obelisk and it burns a gold. Do you look at the obelisk at all? Well, since it's kind of his first time seeing it and, you know, another large thing... So he kind of mm. has to, like, crane his neck upward, but yeah. <laughs> uh, make me an arcane check, please. All right. Taking the precedent of these first four rolls, you, I can't really be disappointed at this point. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, 19. 19? Um, like Skyrim, when you kill a dragon, you see, like, uh, red, blue, and gold, like, uh, uh like, a wind push out of the obelisk and wrap around you as 
a lot of information comes into your head and you get flashes from the past. And we look at each image. And the best way I can describe this is each image looks like a... You, have you ever seen people make images out of like a nice calligraphy? You know what I mean? Like they'd write down a sentence or a word then make it into uh, uh, what would it look like uh, the creature would look like. So, you know, like uh, they'd write down zebra and make the letters twist and turn like it's a zebra with white and black ink. That That's the kind of thing that's going on. Like there is a story that's being told, writ, uh, writing down uh, what each creature is, and the image itself describes uh, the context. So, again, for example, just so like people don't go off deep end and try to figure out what the fuck am I talking about. Like, for example, if we were to see Godzilla and King Kong talking, it uh, like Godzilla would be written Godzilla, and that word would look like the creature. Then we'd see, like, a King Kong. King Kong written out, looking like King Kong. And you'd see him fighting. The context would be, like, a battle between two kaiju. So, you you see that. And as... Well, not that. Let me rephrase that. Holy shit! There's Godzilla and King Kong! This world's getting interesting! <laughs> so, the first image you see is that of a giant person and you see that of a giant demon drawn out in the water with no land and you see that uh the titan is called urgle and you see the demon as it's named cabalus you see them exchanging blows and you get the context that it was a great fight then the next image, below it, you see that this fight goes on and on and on until each side, with their armies, makes a field of corpses that separates the two waters. You see the titan on the far left, and you see a demon on the far right, as their allies form the land that they walk on. Then below that, you see dragons stopping the fight as each side walks away. And you take a moment as your eyes burn a rustic orange, glowing, and it's too much for you. You stop. If, if uh, like, information is pouring into your head, and after a moment's breath, you look down, look back up, and you see that the three images are now gone. They're no longer on the obelisk, no longer glowing, the bright light dims. Now if you were to try to look at the other images, you notice that the words are now in an anagram. The words do not form pictures, they swirl around. So it's hard to understand what the rest of the story is. And you see good old uh, uh, Jacked standing next to you. And he goes, what did you see? <laughs> it's like, uh, like, like I imagine like his eyes hurt a little bit. It's like, Cobalt Sea! Like, Cobalt Sea big titan and demon! And they fight each other! And, uh... And you said the third image was like a... Was it like a dragon or just like a lot of dragons? <laughs> the first image was the two sides fighting. 
The second image was both armies dying, forming a land between the bodies of water. The third, like you said, was dragons intervening as they both walk away from the fight. Yeah, okay. Uh... And then Cobalt see many people dying. Many Cobalt think soldier? Word? And then dragons appear. And he smiles. Yes, dragons. And he pats you on the head and he goes, Cobalt, you're so smart. Cobalt try really hard. Yes, you do, Cobalt. Yes, you do. Then he uh, motions you to follow along as you guys go on a beach, then sit on a bench to watch the black waves as they lap onto the beach. And he leans forward, hands cupped, and just stares out in the ocean with you. He just stares out into the sea as well, thinking you know, it's, a, it's a little different from how it was back on his island, but... Yeah, must bring back good memories. And I say, like, uh, as you're looking out, uh, you know what? I think Cobalt actually has a bit of a flashback as he, like, daydreams looking at the waves. We see a younger Cobalt in a different area. It's a tropical weather. We see palm trees on this island with a volcano. And we see a tribe of uh, Cobalts with the leader of the Cobalts talking out. And if you were to hear it in common, it'd be something along the lines of, And what he says in Draconic for a kobold to hear is, Kobold, you have done very well. I'm so happy for you. You made Master so proud. And he pats you on your uh, shoulder. In that flashback, Kobold uh, would like, you know, like stand, like, you know, like stand up, uh, stand stiff like a, uh, Look a little, try to make himself a, a little bit taller, puff his chest out a bit, like. Kobo always happy to make Master proud. <laughs> you make you make Master very proud, and he uh, gives you two things. Uh, what are those two items, Mega? Um, what would have been what would have been unique is the would have been uh, the collar and the book, as like that no one else would have those. <laughs> make Master proud and hands out your book and your collar all which have been familiar so far. And he motions you along, then you see the next one. And he goes, Kyle! And you see like a dull blue cobalt uh, 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 walk up and he goes, you have made master very disappointed. You get, and he holds out a pebble, a rock. And he just <laughs> shakes his head and goes, yes, thank you. And he walks along towards Cobalt, who got two very nice items. And he walks and talks with you. Cobalt, what have you done to make Master happy? So, Master tell Cobalt that Cobalt have lot potential, so Cobalt must practice and learn. And Cobalt do just that. And he looks angry, but I don't think Cobalt catches on. And then, like, a devious smile comes on his face and goes, Well, you want to know how to make Master really happy? Oh, oh, yes, if, if no, please tell Cobalt. And he goes, and he nods his head and goes, In Master's Horde, there is a book. I have trouble reading it. You know, you're the only Cobalt that can read. But the book is fancy. And if you touch it, you could have ultimate magical powers 
and he wiggles his fingers about to get y'all like hyped up for it. Oh, really? No. And he nods his head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Follow me. And you guys go along the beach, past the palm trees, and towards the volcano, a tunnel that stretches inward. And your master is generally unkempt. You guys usually like organize for your master. And he goes along the while, and uh, we see a basically a librarian, Kobold, who is uh, organizing books, leave. Keep in mind, you're the only person who can read, so his job as a librarian is just to organize books to the best of his knowledge. And you see, like, uh, your buddy, uh, Kyle, uh, sneak over and grab a book, then give it to you. And what you read from it, it's written in common, and it says Wonderland. He tells you, open up the book, read it very carefully, and... You will get the power you want. You'll make Master very happy. Cobalt, read aloud? And he goes, no, 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 no. You don't read aloud. You you read it to yourself. In head. Head. And he, like, taps his head. Oh, okay, okay. And I assume you begin to read. Yeah, just uh, opens the book to the first page and starts reading. (laughs) Yep. And as you read along and along, uh, the words slowly like form into a magical sigil as you move along. And again, just like uh, the obelisk, like the words make into pictures, then magical symbols, and then like uh, it gets to the point where you're reading it, but you don't quite understand it as you're following along. And eventually, once you finish one of the paragraphs, like they all glow gold, and the book basically. <laughs> Your body turns ethereal for a second, like you're a ghost, and then it turns into a bright orb, and we see you slingshot past the book, from the island, through the sea, gliding against the waters, creating ripples as you rush by, and we see as you go high into the air, higher and higher and higher, we see the entire continent, and we see one weird region where it's an ever-growing ever-reaching forest and you shoot down there and we cut back to kyle who snickers you see him just grab the book really quick before you leave and uh as you uh go down uh can you explain to me uh the region you're in what biome is it um i yeah i guess in i guess in this case like uh you know, let's like let's make this interesting like uh, as different as possible so like uh let's say he's in a tundra biome yep you see a uh, tundra biome well it's not really that interesting the, this this uh, things that can really happen in our reality uh you end up in a tundra as it shoots down and there is essentially a forest you basically are in a snow-covered forest and you feel the cold nip and after that you open, or you you basically snap back to reality, as a uh, jacked, like touches your shoulder and says, "Cobalt, what what are you thinking about?" Oh oh, Cobalt, sorry, Cobalt just. It like stops to avoid. Cobalt, feel, remember. You remember, remember what? So, Cobalt, remember, many year ago, when Cobalt Clutchling. And he smiles at you. And what happened? Cobalt go 
most strange place. And he nods. Strange place? What did it look like? Very different from Cobalt Home. Cobalt come from island with with beach and ocean and trees, but this place cover in a cobalt remember word spell. Very cold. But much colder than cobalt accustomed. He thinks about it for a second and goes, Well, only places in the continent where there's really that like there's a lot of snow, right? And he said it was warm, then it was cold right away. Yeah, cobalt Like uh, how clearly does he remember the uh uh, like the how, journey like, uh, does, like does he bas- does he basically connect the book with the reason why he went there? <laughs> yeah, uh, you like you know for a fact that the book brought you there. Yeah. So, cobalt, cobalt read book, and cobalt feels strange and and feel really fast around cobalt, and then cobalt in snowy place with many trees, but not but not island trees, different trees. His eyes widen. What was the name of that book? Uh, say on cover, Wonderland. He takes a moment to process what you say. Then you see him just, you know, give you another uh, smile. And uh, he goes, Cobalt, I need to ask you a question. So, did you break anything in that forest? Did you hurt anything? Did you burn wood to stay warm? Hmm. Uh, does uh, does Cobalt uh, remember much yes. of what he did in that area? Yeah. Yeah. That like I would assume one of the things that you did was build a fire. Uh, uh yes. Cobalt really cold and it's scary place. So Cobalt tried to keep warm. And you see your reflection in Jack's split eye as his cheek raises up to his eye and he smiles. You broke a law. Did you turn into an animal by chance? A plant? I know, it's a very odd question. It's a very obvious one. No, you didn't. Uh, no. Cobalt, stay Cobalt. But Cobalt broke law. And bad, isn't it? He goes, normal circumstances. Yeah, it is bad. But for you, you broke an unbreakable law. And he says, Cobalt, when you take Grimmer to see your master, do you mind if I come along? Jet Kitty can come with Cobalt. Jet and... Kitty always plays to Cobalt. Oh, yes, Cobalt. And he just pats you on the shoulder. You gotta show me that book. And I'm gonna say that's enough for you guys. Basically, we uh, cut out. And I'm assuming it's going to get around the time where you guys fade back into reality. Dust, you're still in the orphanage? Uh, was I able to see any commotion from inside the Unseen Public? Like, what's going on with the guards? Uh, you see their silhouettes, like, walking around you the entire time. Like, blue silhouettes. Yeah, I'm going to stay right there, sitting on the bottom of the tree. As you fade back into reality? Yep. You do, and... You see, like, a head guard captain, who you don't recognize, but we know as real Fallon. He looks at you as you reappear and goes, Well, well, well. Looks like uh, the culprit came back to the scene of the crime. You mind telling me, boy, 
Why are your names carved into this corpse? And points at the nickel. And he says, And why you came here from the unseen public? So as he asks that, I extend my index finger claw because I carved his name into it. I never left. Boys, search him. Can you see, like, the guards, like, come up to you? Do you resist? I took my last numb tongue, right? Like, Dust handed over the, the whole bag to Cobalt and asked him to hand it out to other people, but there was a problem on the battlefield where he couldn't go off and yeah. give it to all of them. So that's why he has his own unfortunately large stock of numb tongue. <laughs> okay, you don't have any numb tongue. Do you let them search you? Yeah, let them search me. Okay, they uh, grab you. Uh, just hold you against the tree, do a pat down, and they pull out a drake belly. Let that sit for a moment. Oh yeah, that's right. He grabbed that drake belly from Nickel. Now I'm assuming they don't know what it is yet. Most guards don't. Uh, Asmodai, uh, re refresh my memory. Did you mention anything about drake belly to uh, Fallon? I haven't talked to Fallon yet since we came back. And no, I don't even know what drake belly is, both in and out of character. Mm -hmm. And uh, if he... He uh, basically uh, found looks at it. Now give me a second to think about it, because we had uh, one dead body over it that was in the streets, and we had a trap house full of corpses that had open stomachs. Then we had, uh, uh, what's his name, Georgie, on the island who had it. Hmm. Oh, I have something to say when he finds it. Okay, go right ahead. Oh, so you found the drug that the hanging man was producing. Yeah, you're welcome. I took down the culprit. Do persuasion check. Did he say what you got? 12. Okay. Roll 12. He looks at it. It's a drug, huh? And he looks at it. Do you know the offense for holding a drug is? Yeah, it's death if you're holding numb tongue. I'm assuming mm -hmm. since I took down the supplier, I deserve a thanks. What evidence do you have that he has any relationship with drugs? That he supplies the drugs? All I see is a corpse hanging without a hand with your name carved right into it, holding a drug. Well, if you would go ahead and ease up on pushing me against this tree, I can take you to where his office was, where he produced the stuff. They basically handcuff you as he gives a nod. Do you let that happen? Yeah, I'll let them handcuff me. Okay. They uh, basically uh, put shackles on you. And you guys walk along, and I assume you're talking about the first trap house where you got Nickel, right? Yeah, as we're talking on the way to get there, um, I'm assuming, well, out of character, it's um, Fallon who's, um, like, right behind me or something. Yeah, real Fallon's falling right behind you. Also, if you, you know, to back up my claims, um, get the captain of the guard, Fallon should be around here. And he walks along with you and looks at you. I am here. Yeah, you're not Fallon. And he goes, yeah, I am Fallon. And he looks like he's about to snap about this very uh, specific subject. So what you're telling me is I've never met you, but I have met Fallon. So are you guys even real guards? The one you met is not a real guard. He is just an imposter dragging my damn name through the dirt. Well, I did pay a few of your guards to find this um, fake Fallon. And he says, you bribed one of my guards. 
Bribery, you have very bad board choices. I was trying to find the captain of the guard, which I guess is or isn't you. Then why would you pay my guard? Well, after helping out with that siege that apparently you weren't part of, um, I thought we would find the what I thought was Fallon to, you know, make sure he was safe. And he just squints his eyes at you. And he goes, so what you're telling me is you sent away my guards from a cleanup crew or from cleaning up that mess to try and find my imposter by giving them money to disregard their orders. And what you're telling me is that you refuse to help the citizens of this city in an invasion? Because I saw fake Fallon, not you. He slaps you across the face, just like straight fucking backhand. And he goes, you don't determine who is worth protecting here. Can you tell me how many people were guarding the Jade Hills? Huh? How Can many? you tell me how many people you protected? Every damn noble in that goddamn hill. And he looks at you and stares you down and says, every guard, every greyhound, every important guard, protector, merc, all of them left the Jade Hills. Now tell me, when I lost half my staff to a slaughter of demons, then find most of my staff gone. You think that's not important to protect one region over the other? You're telling me that you decide what my men do. Cat, better watch your fucking tongue before I slit it right from your throat and give you a tie. That's the and problem with you guards. You only focus on the nobles and leave us to rot. Crash doesn't rot. It's already rotten. And he... You guys make your way to uh, the trap house, and you guys look indoors, and... Oh, give me a perception check, Dust. What do you get? 22. It's clean. Like, abnormally clean. Like, you can see it through the window. And uh, as you guys, uh, like, go inside the building, you see that the tables, albeit, like, you know, a few tables missing from uh, what got destroyed, it looks like it's just a vacant house. Wait, is it the trap house we burned down? No, this is another trap house. Yeah, this is like the very there's two trap houses. This is the first one that the party met before you joined. Um, they go to uh, the trap house is abnormally clean. There is nothing wrong. Well, with that perception check, do I do I smell anything like cleaning supplies like vinegar? Um, how many days has it been? Uh, two days. Two. I'm gonna say no. Uh, you don't smell any cleaning uh, regions. Well. This is where the operation was held. It seems that his boss sent some lackeys to clean it up. And he looks at you and goes, That's what I should have expected from fucking trash. Then slaps you again. You're wasting my time. Do you know what day it is? It's the day of the ball. Guess where you're sleeping tonight, you little shit. Oh, why don't you enlighten me? The damn Coliseum. And they start to drag you off. And we cut <laughs> to like a wide view of like dust being pushed along towards the Coliseum, which is on the far right of the frame. And yeah, I think we'll cut off from there. This has been House Common Blood, the intro music by White Sand, Promise, and the outro music by Darren Curtis. Time's up. 
any music and sound effects used in this episode are royalty free. Credits can be found in the episode description. Please review us on whatever podcast listening app you happen to be using. And if you like us, tell other people. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow. Thank you for joining us. Did Kobo do good, Master? <laughs>